Hey everybody, this is Micah Ness and you're listening to the Silverline Behind the Frame podcast, episode number 42. And in this episode, I was filming in Utah and had a chance to chat with Austin Musselman of Brown Foreman, who are the owners of Jack Daniels Whiskey. And I'm sure you've heard of that name because they are the largest uh, whiskey in the world. And Austin comes from a long family line of distillers that dates back over 150 years. And we get to talk about the history of whiskey and the commercial production of it and how his family business has changed over the years, his involvement, and also his own endeavors in hunting and outdoor space. And there's some really great insights to learn from his varied background for those in a family business, or if you're just wanting to pursue your own business adventures. So hope you enjoy this episode. So we are going to start off here. Well, thanks for uh, joining the podcast today. We have uh, Austin Musselman, or do I say that right? Musselman. Austin Musselman. Musselman, yep, you got there it. we go. <laughs> and uh, so why don't you tell us where, where are we at right now as we're uh, recording this? Well, we are here in Utah, up in the mountains at uh, Wild Country Outfitters um, on a beautiful ranch that they lease. It's 250,000 acres, and I've been very blessed to, you know, live out west i went to college in colorado and traveled and lived in arizona and montana for a bit was a fly fishing guide but seen a lot of the west i'm from the east coast i'm from kentucky but uh, when i came to this place last year i was just blown away i'd never seen a ranch this beautiful this well managed and uh we're sitting here and i just shot you know my second largest mule deer ever awesome Uh, the first largest (laughs) i got here last year and uh yeah, we're here and, uh, and enjoying great fellowship with great guys here that from all over the country and different backgrounds. It's it's just a ton of fun. So yeah, it's quite the uh, quite the joining of, of so many different uh, people in this place. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of different both well known people in the hunting industry as well as people that just really like to hunt because this place really has a lot to offer. I mean, they have they really like you said they manage it really well and they right. have they have a lot of really good game too and, and it's good people. Yeah, I mean, I've I've noticed that, you know, I'm uh, I'm not really in the hunting industry. I mean, I'm doing a little stuff on my own right now, but uh, you know, and I've come up here, and there's a lot of big corporate leases with you know Under yeah. Armour and Lacrosse and Nosler and sure. uh, Freightliner, and and it's it's been neat to meet all these guys in the hunting industry up here, but also the guys that are just you know uh, coming up here to hunt on their own, and it's. And everybody's, you know, it just comes down to it. They may wear different camo. They may have different companies. They might even be competing with each other. But it's neat to see them all interact here and everybody's hunters and having fun and sharing the stories. So Yeah. Now, did you you grow up being... Uh, interested in hunting you said you're a fly fishing guide and stuff like that too or just always like the outdoors yeah i mean uh you know kentucky and i mean we had farm ponds and you know and my dad uh was more of a golfer he was an all-american golfer oh wow uh he won the kentucky state am five times he got a scholarship to university of colorado and uh went there and played golf could have gone pro uh but um you know, and, and he ended up hurting his back and, and, you know, got into business and other things. But, but you know, when I went down and I played a little golf growing up, but when I went down to the golf course or the, you know, hit balls, like he was like a celebrity and everybody was around and <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get him to myself, like hang out with my dad. But 
he he was into hunting and fishing just enough that mm -hmm. uh he took me fishing it was just great time not only bonding with him but i loved it i just loved nature and catching frogs and crawdads and yeah uh and then he took me on my first deer hunt in 1980 in kentucky and there were not many deer back then yeah and uh i just watched him shoot a deer and i was just hooked and every moment i just wanted him to take me hunting that's really was yeah. the seed that that planted uh for me to get into hunting and fishing and um and then yeah i just kept it going on my own i had no one else my you know he didn't really teach me much i had right. to kind of learn on my own that's what really got me into it so. sure and is that um i mean having places like this even just to to get opportunities like this to hunt do you do you end up going a lot of other places kind of similar to this to go and hunt specific species then or do you kind of have the main ones that you like to go for the most yeah I've, I've done you know a fair amount of travel now um you know but moreover it's it's you know my favorite thing's just hunting on our own family farm yeah uh in kentucky um you know with my kids but uh i've been very lucky to go on a couple trips over to Europe shooting birds and uh, oh, been down to cool. Argentina a few times shooting yeah. birds. Uh, been um, some other places out west. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's really I love kind of hunting on my own farm and kind of and, and the kill is great. But I love the whole management of the land and, uh, you know, seeing the habitat and, and manipulating it. That's my favorite thing more than really hunting. So, yeah. Yeah, it's cool to see the the larger impact from that as well. And even we see it here with this place and, and the environment they've created, but also allowing for um, a lot of different people to become and, and experience it as well and mm -hmm. seeing the growth and the, the population and the animals and everything too. It's it's really oh, yeah. cool when it all comes together. There's so much that goes on. I know having do do it myself on a smaller scale than this, Yeah, so much goes on behind the scenes to – year-round manage for these animals and uh you know deal with the state biologists and deal with um you know all the things that that go with managing land and uh it's a lot of guys probably come up here and they just shoot their animal and they leave and they don't realize yeah. like this is a major operation right. security all kinds of things they do it's pretty amazing so. yeah and it's and it really is a, a almost a, I mean, it's a business for wild country as well. Just all the different people coming in and out of here. And it's, it's, uh, uh, they, they do a good job and they manage it really well. And, and, uh, so let's talk a little bit about, um, kind of your backstory. I mean, we're, we're, uh, drinking some very fine, fine bourbon right now. And, yeah. and, uh, you have a bit of a connection to, uh, to that type of a drink. So sure. Sure. Um, yeah. My family, um, it, it, it went, you know, way back in my family, I'm in the fifth generation of uh, bourbon distilling and, and, the, and the whiskey and spirits industry. Uh, it started with my great-great-grandfather, uh, who was a pharmacist back in Kentucky 150 years ago, started this company. Uh, very small, and uh, he was actually a pharmacist uh, distributor who would distribute medicinal goods to doctors around the country, yeah. mainly around Kentucky. But uh, back then, whiskey, you know, was prescribed as a cure-all. You know, everybody would say... <laughs> That's crazy. It helps you with everything. <laughs> and, you know, he recognized that there was a, a real problem in distributing whiskey medicinally because, you know, when they really wanted to prescribe it for someone with a toothache or a cold or whatever, 
uh, they would have to go to the saloon and the barkeeps to buy the whiskey. Uh, right. And um, and the quality was up and down depending on you know who the guy was behind what the you bar. Get it from yeah. And everything. And it was in the barrel at that time. And sometimes it would be watered down or it would be poor quality. Uh, sometimes it would be great. And he said, you know, look, why don't we make the best bourbon we can and then do like other medicinal goods, put it in a bottle and seal it. So yeah. my great-great-grandfather created the first bottled bourbon. Wow. And what what year? Do you know around the, what time would that be? It was 150 years ago. So it was wow. in the yeah, 1860s, you know, <laughs> yeah. Wow, and, that's uh, crazy. You know, and it's in this company, uh, our company is called Brown Foreman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my family, uh, they're called the Browns, and he was named George Garvin Brown. Yeah. Uh, and he started it. And, uh, and it was very small. He had one or two uh, brands. Uh, Old Forester was the first bottle of bourbon mm-hmm. that they would sell. Uh, and then, you know, passed it down to his son, uh, who was named Alzi Brown, and um, then Prohibition hit. And um, yeah. uh, because of the medicinal connection that they had in the beginning and distributing to a lot of doctors, they got one of the three licenses in the U.S. to sell medicinal Really? alcohol so that kept the so company they kept going right through yeah and it but it was very just a trickle of business sure uh and then post prohibition uh my grandfather came in um and he was just a young guy and they still only had one or two brands mm-hmm. and um you know and then they slowly built built the company up had a few other brands and the really the thing that turned the tides that grew our company much larger was they leveraged the whole company to buy Jack Daniels in 1956. Yeah, wow. Um, Do you know when that had started or when Jack, Jack, Jack Daniels was, again, like ours, it was back in the 1800s later probably, yeah. Um, yeah. like 1890s probably. Okay. Um, and and it was pretty small when we bought it, but it was, it was bigger than our whole company. Really? Uh, so it was a big stretch for us to buy, us, buy it, and it was a big risk. Uh, and it wasn't the iconic brand that everybody know today. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, later, shortly after that, like the, the Rat Pack, like Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, they'd drink it on stage and, yeah. you know, made it cool. And then shortly after that, you know, like the Rolling Stones and, and a lot of the rock and rollers mm-hmm. kind of made it, help make it iconic. Uh, now it's one of the most... Recognized brand, part of the part of the culture almost. It definitely did, and, and very Americana, and it, it it appeals to the guy in a business suit and tie as much as a rock and roller. Yeah, and, and there's a huge allure behind that brand, and the packaging's amazing too. Right, it's yeah. very recognizable, kind of, and yeah. kind of the Western culture and stuff too. It seems to kind of gravitate towards that, and mm-hmm. and w- was that a big part in? bringing a lot of the other brands kind of to the forefront as well i mean when that when that purchase happened and those things started changing did it also bring a lot of other companies up and competition and stuff too sure yeah i mean i think the whole you know if you look at the spirits industry and i don't work at the company day to day but i'm very involved and i've kind of learned the business and how it works because it's what our family's invested in. Sure. And it's become huge, but I'm still very keen on, on this bis- business and the history. But mm-hmm. the spirits industry changes all the time. You know, one decade they want, you know, clear uh, vodka. They want no flavor. 
Uh, then, yeah. you know, whiskey has become uh, very popular. Tequila has become very popular because it has a lot of flavor, a lot of uh, story behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And back in the, you know, 50, uh, 60s, 70s, bourbon had a huge boom. And then it fell off in the 80s and 90s. And American whiskey really suffered. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of ebbed and flowed um, throughout history. And... Uh, you know, it's it's really kind of amazing to see having this huge resurgence, and um, now you're seeing bourbon just being popular everywhere. Right, right. Yeah. And is that? Uh, and we were talking earlier too. You were saying some of the, even just like the commonality of the of the drink with, of of, of Jack and, and Coke, and I mean with those kinds of things just kind of getting etched into people's minds whenever they go somewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. you're saying that's worldwide, right? Yeah, I mean it's. Um, you know, it's just such a recognized brand. Um, everybody's tried it. Um, you know, a lot of times they'll get intimidated when they go to a bar and, like, you know, there's all these fancy cocktails and saying, you know, I'll just have a Jack and Coke, yeah. you know. And Jack and Coke is the number one ordered cocktail in the world. And, wow. Uh, it just rolls off your tongue and people know it's good and safe and, you know, they're not ordering some uh, fruity drink that might have some weird flavor and they, <laughs> they pay $15 yeah, for it and they don't right. like it. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and it's, uh, so it's, it's been a very good combination. Um, you know, started very domestically in the U S and mm-hmm. now, you know, like around the world, it's just becoming very popular and there's still a lot of potential for the company and the brand, uh, outside the U S. So, and you're saying as far as the different, um, brands too, it's, it's basically the top top one as well as far as popularity and and even uh the amount that's distributed throughout the world definitely yeah i mean we've we've grown other brands um you know we always kind of say you know you got to have your main core business Mm -hmm. but you want to plant like your next acorns to grow your next oak trees i mean jack became an oak tree very fast but we have other brands like woodford reserve and uh heradura tequila um they're doing quite well um, they've all also done some line extensions off Jack, uh, Jack Honey, uh, mm-hmm. Jack Fire, Jack Apple that are becoming very popular. Right. And also bringing a new segment of drinkers in. A lot of Latinos like the Honey, a lot of female mm-hmm. drinkers that typically weren't whiskey drinkers that are, sure. uh, you know, getting introduced to loving flavored whiskeys. So. Right. Yeah. And and how has you have you seen? I guess not being necessarily like you said day to day in the business, but throughout this last year with all the craziness going on with uh, COVID and everything. And how has, how has that been impacted into the uh, kind of the spirits industry as you've seen it? Well, pre COVID, our biggest challenge was the tariff wars that were going on. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, American whiskey got tariffed very hard overseas, uh, partially because it was attack um, to anything American, like true American brands. Yeah. Um, got caught up in the tariff wars and, and particularly uh, Kentucky bourbon because, you know, Mitch McConnell's the Senate majority leader. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, uh, you know, political plays around the tariffs were, were aimed at him, yeah. uh, which caused, a, you know, a real challenge to get our product out into these growing markets like the UK is our biggest secondary market, mm-hmm. uh, France, Australia. Uh, so that really kind of put a ding in the business pre-COVID. And then COVID hit, um, and that basically, you know, crushed our, um, you know, on-premise business, which on-premise business is 
uh, bars and restaurants. Yeah. Off-premise business is at your home when you're right. enjoying a, a drink at your home. So, But we saw our on-premise business increase during COVID, uh, namely because people were kind of stocking up. They were worried, you know, yeah. <laughs> what's going on? We need toilet paper. We need frozen pizzas. You know, we need meats and... Uh, we also need some spirits and drinks to, you know, hold us over. And they didn't run and buy some craft cocktail. They wanted something right. they knew was safe and true. And yep. they bought Jack Daniels and our other brands that are very popular. Yeah. So that helped us uh, with the COVID crisis. Um, and, you know, just the spirits industry in general is, you know, it's nice that times are good, people drink, and times are bad, people drink. Right. So. Uh, you know, it's not totally recession-proof, but it does weather some of those uh, challenges. So. Yeah. And what part, uh, I guess, that being involved in, it's, it sounds like it's a pretty large amount of, of family that's involved, which is it's cool to hear, too, because I, I grew up in, in my dad having a, a family business, and all of the family worked in part of it different times, you know, and that kind of thing, even though my brother and I didn't continue on the family business but we learned a lot of what we knew you mm-hmm. know from that so what what kind of position have you played in that or how is it kind of the the family dynamic you know grown and changed through the years well you know the family is um you know it's a publicly traded company so mm-hmm. i mean we have a shares and b shares of stock the stock is uh the a shares is the voting stock for the company the b is the common stock it's publicly traded more the a A shares are on the market but the family really since it went public in the 1920s has controlled most of the voting stock and Mm -hmm. um you know if you look at american companies that have made it into the fifth generation there's probably a handful maybe 10 uh, in the country um and part of the way that we've made it is because our our company has grown and has profited and it's mm-hmm. it's done well all this time yeah um the other part has been through family leadership in the company and um really now that the family's grown and you know we have 150 cousins and yeah. uh, not many are working at the company anymore it's gotten so huge that mm-hmm. a lot of the family spread out all around the world um we really focus on governance, and that's the biggest challenge for uh, any business uh, that tries to make it generationally to the next generation is is how do you deal with generational shifts in business. So, yeah. uh, and especially true where we are right now in our uh, path that governance is really the number one thing we focus on is, uh, you know, we always equate it to there's two trains running side by side on a track that keep our business going forward and one of it is good performance and the other one is keeping the family governance and the family dynamics working well together and that is a real challenge if you look at why businesses (laughs) fail yeah generational changes it's through family problems right so right Mm -hmm. and is that um I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of intricacies in how to, to manage some of those different decisions, but I'm sure there's, I guess, processes that are in place if, if one member is cause wanting to go off and do something else, so then the um, in, you know, that part of the interest of the family stays within the business and that kind of thing too. And Yeah. Um, and is that, with that large of a family, I guess I'm not as familiar with maybe when you're saying there's 150 cousins, I mean, does each 
member of the family then kind of automatically become part of um, the whole, you know, shares and everything? Or is that just basically they're allowed some involvement to an extent or what does that look like? We, you know, we really are trying to create a lot of points of entry for people to get involved. Yeah. And the company is large enough that um, they don't have to work their way up to some executive level position or yeah. have to run it or be the, you know, chairman or CEO of the board or, or whatever, you know, they can get involved in, in a lot of different areas. It could be research and development. It could be um, other avenues, or they could be in the periphery and be involved with the government governance or the company has a lot of philanthropy. We give a lot of dollars back okay, to the community. Yeah. Cool. Or they could just be very good informed shareholders that yeah. have an interest in the business, but know about the business and what it's mm -hmm. going on and, because, uh, like most of us, most of our assets are tied up in it. We kind of want to know, even though we're not working there, yeah. what's going on in the industry, what's going on in the business, who's running right. it, what's working, what's not working. Yeah. So. And what was your, I guess, growing up and kind of going into this family, I guess, is there a lot of pressure then to be involved in it to that extent? Or did you already have kind of a natural gravitation to that? Or did you go to school for those types of things at all or, or what was kind of your path into that yeah i mean it was a, you know i remember back in college and really just kind of thinking hard like do i want to get into this uh business or not you know i was very much into the outdoors i was very much kind of a free spirit uh very entrepreneurial i was doing you know opening restaurants and uh you know doing small little real estate deals i was yeah uh you know, just kind of trying to do things on my own. I enjoyed uh, skiing and hunting and fishing and, and, and saw some of my older cousins that were working at the company and had to put a suit and tie on all the time. And yeah. they, <laughs> they looked like they had no time off. And right. I was just like, I don't know. And but at the same time, it was very alluring. It was such an interesting business mm -hmm. and a great opportunity to you know have a good paycheck and, and be a part of something that uh, I'd grown up, you know, knowing that this is a huge part of our history and yeah. our culture, but, um, you know, and, and, and that was before we had created all these avenues of getting involved with governance or sure. other, um, things to keep us all connected. So then we started exploring those things. I realized I could stick my toe in the water. I could be very educated and informed and involved, but I don't have to work there day to day. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And is that, uh, um, do you have kids as well that are, are kind of growing up in, into that? Or what's, what's yeah. kind of the next generation look like for yeah. the family there? Um, well, my, my oldest daughter's a freshman in college at Auburn University in Alabama. Um, she's studying business. She's in the business school. Yeah. Um, and two, you know, not only with our governance program directed at, you know, the adults to really be informed and keep the family together, we're have a big component of educating the next generation, involving yeah. them, figuring out how to involve them, how to make them fluent in the business and give them opportunities to be involved throughout the spectrum. And uh, so I'm not gonna put any pressure on them, but mm. I think there's a great network for them to get involved um, if they wanna choose to be there uh, you know, with a career or just be involved in the periphery or yeah. not be involved at all. They can still make those choices. But uh, I think like anything, you know, you want them to have their own passion at, at yeah. you know, whatever they decide to do. So Right. 
Yeah, that that was something I always was very grateful for my um, dad as well as even though there was this career opportunity that was there to continue on with the business, there was never a extra pressure to have to do that. It's it's making sure they follow their own, you know, kind of dreams and things that that the whole family was wanting to do, and so all these other you know side things can help to grow out of that. But we were able to take a lot of things we learned from his business working and managing in it and then going on to, to do something else. And mm-hmm. is there anything that you have seen, um, I guess, working inside of that uh, family dynamic that you would say to others that may be in that same situation of just, you know, wondering whether to go into the family business or to, to you know, try to do something else on their own or just how to kind of navigate that, that process for someone else? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it all depends on the situation. Um, you know, some people, it, it could be just like um, they want to make their own mark. You know, a lot of people say, I don't want everything given to me. I want to try to do things on my own. Yeah. Uh, and or they may just have different interests and different passions. You know, mm-hmm. they may uh, some people, you know, are good at numbers and good at uh, design or whatever it is or good at managing people being leaders some people yeah. aren't you know and uh you know my main advice to people would be just to follow your heart and um you know really kind of take inventory of what your skill set is and see if that dovetails into the family business and if you can find a connection and it really inspires you and and you enjoy it do it but yeah uh, if you see it really hindering what uh, makes you happy, you know, maybe go another direction and don't think that maybe it's all or nothing at that point because we all live a long enough life that you may go off and find some other passion for a while or you may get another uh, skill set or education somewhere totally different outside your family business. Mm-hmm. And then later in life, you kind of say, hey, maybe I did learn something doing that other thing that I can bring back to the family business right? and uh, I can contribute and maybe I do want to get involved. So I think just be patient. Uh, You know, I always say that it's amazing when you're young, you have all these different interests and you think they're so separate, Yeah. but the older you get, you start realizing, well, maybe my interests have connection here and things that I learned over here I can apply over there so Mm -hmm. just be patient I'd say it's going to come back so yeah yeah. no that's awesome yeah have you have you been able to see some of that like with the even the passion you have for hunting and getting to tie that into what you're doing and with you had a you know a camera guy here filming and do you is there kind of a um I guess a a plan of the things that you're wanting to do kind of in that space as well, or just kind of dabbling in that a little bit as far as kind yeah. of sharing hunts or, you know, being that, you know, video personality kind of a person or what is that? Yeah, totally. I've, you know, I've, uh, all the things that I've kind of learned and done throughout my life. Um, I seem to have found a way now that uh, I'm finding connection between it all. Um, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, managing our farmland, um, you know, we got into or- organic vegetable production. Uh, yeah, cool. You know, we are, um, you know, we've done grass-fed cattle. Um, you know, we're still managing a lot for hunting and things. Um, you know, we're involved, I, for a long time, I was trying to run the family farm like a farm and kind of realized that it was very challenging in farming to make farming work as yeah. a business. 
I was kind of a black hole, but also I could see a very interest um, in local foods and local, um, you know, clean, uh, organic foods and that come from local farms. Um, And so we had some old buildings on our farm, an old historic barn my grandfather built for uh, cattle and showing cattle and selling cattle. Yeah. That I, uh, you know, borrowed some money and I rehabbed it and turned it into a events facility for weddings oh, yeah. and corporate events nice. and things like that um and uh hired some really fantastic chefs and started putting on corporate events there yeah uh, now nice. we're building lodging for um you know out-of-town guests and try to make it a destination mm, um, that's cool yeah and and i always loved cooking and cooking wild game and everything and uh and then two just with our history with the bourbon uh there's a lot of people traveling to kentucky now yeah. You know, when I was growing up and I'd go to summer camp or whatever, and they were like, oh, you're from Kentucky? Like, you know, <laughs> you're backwoods. Do you all wear shoes? Like, do you have all your teeth? And and now it's like I talk. Yeah. <laughs> and now with the bourbonism and kind of southern foods and things like yeah. that, um, you go and travel play places and people are like, wow, that's cool. Like, tell me more, you right. know. Right. And so – um, I just feel like, you know, and two with sporting, like uh, magazines like Garden and Gun and, uh, you know, a lot of these um, celebrity guys like Joe Rogan, Cameron Haynes, who come here a lot, uh, yeah. have done a very good job at promoting meat as being very organic, very healthy. Uh, so I feel like I'm, I'm in a part of this intersection of culinary flavor, authenticity, bourbon that we're kind of creating on our home farm. Yeah. And uh, we do a lot of hunting on our farm and, and mm-hmm. kill some great deer and bring in a lot of guests, um, you know, and I was just like, wow, you know, maybe you start filming this. And mm-hmm. uh, we started filming it just kind of low budget with cameras. And we created yeah. our own podcast really similar to you. Yeah. Uh, not so much talking about business, but more about just yeah. people's story. It, it's kind of all over the place, but just trying to get sure. people's story. Um, so it's, you know. Yeah, I just really feel like I'm at the point in my life where I'm finding connection and thriving on it, and I'm excited about it, yeah. and also making a living and finding profit in it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when you can, uh, I mean, I, some people I hear say that, you know, if it's, a, if it's a passion of yours, you don't want to do it as a business because then it's no longer, you know, your passion or fun, and, that, and that's, and I, I feel like there's, there are people like what I'm hearing you being able to say you've been able to do too, and and what I've been thankful to do as well is just be able to take what I'm really passionate about and make it into a, a, a business and a living. And, and, it, and it's something you can be excited to go and do. And it sounds like, especially with the things you're doing, it's so right. diversified in a lot of different areas. And you can see the impact with other people in a positive way. Sure. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, uh, you know, and it, it's too, I mean, I, I, I've been hunting, gosh, so long. I mean, I remember when. You know, there was one bow and arrow company. It was like bear archery. You yeah. know, my first bow was a bear bow. <laughs> yeah. There was no Cabela's. There was no Bass Pro. We went to mm-hmm. sporting goods stores. Yeah. You know, and then I just got into hunting, and I just had no clue it was going to become such a big industry. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, part of me wishes I'd gotten into it a long time ago more, uh, but I'm kind of happy where I'm at. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, but it's just uh, – you know, it, it's amazing, you know, when you find something you really love, it doesn't feel like work, you know, yeah. you just really 
enjoy it and you can speak freely about it and confidently about it because it's um, something you really love. You know, that's everybody's dream is to, you know, yeah, do what they they do for work and, and really enjoy it and love it. So Right. And is there anything to, to keep that, uh, I guess, as you continue to make it into different avenues of work, is there anything to you kind of keep top of mind to keep it still fun and exciting or is it just because it's in that industries that it involves the things that you enjoy it doesn't get it doesn't become work or get too too much going on yeah I mean I, I think the the biggest thing I've discovered and it's kind of learning and looking at our own family company and how it grew and came to be something that was very small into a you know major corporation with 5,000 employees around the world I mean and my something that my grandfather said he died when I was just like one years old and I never got to meet him but I kind of know a lot about his story yeah. and how he was a leader mm-hmm. of other people and you know he wasn't the best accountant he wasn't the best um salesman he wasn't the best this and that but he knew how to put together a team and how to yeah. instill instill people mm-hmm. and I think that is people get hung up kind of on themselves as individuals is really developing people skills and how to empower other people around you how to be a leader and bring people together and, and yeah. harness their skill set right. is so important um, to kind of project everything forward. And um, people skills to me is everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, um, you know, and, and he supposedly had this sign on his desk. It said, not one of us is as smart as all of us, hmm. you know, that, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy to get caught up. Like, this is about me. I'm so smart and I'm such a leader. But when you really think about it, it's like bringing everybody along, you yeah. know, like let's work together as a team. Right. And, and I've tried to apply that kind of ethos to everything, whether it's my hunting group, that's just my buddies that we hunt together and mm-hmm. all work on our hunting program or, you know, this kind of little podcast and hunt stuff we're doing, yeah. filming or to our, my own individual businesses uh, and investments is just try to how to empower a team and how to have a really good group of people and be a leader not so much to talk so much myself but let everybody contribute so, yeah yeah that's awesome yeah now that's really cool to see i mean there's a lot of opportunity there in, in mixing those different industries and then also being able to to share that with other people and let them come along on the oh. on the adventure that's pretty cool yeah it's fun and um you know i just i love uh, meeting people like you and all these guys here that or from all over the place and hearing everybody's stories and, yeah. and how they're coming about it. And, uh, you know, not everybody's in the hunting industry or right. necessarily even in business out here, but, um, you know, it's just, it's interesting meeting people from all over the world and, um, you know, and there's so much opportunity, um, yeah. you know, out there that, uh, if you want something, go after it and, get involved and it's amazing it'll all unfold if you really dream it you can do it exactly you find the commonality in just so many different different areas too that's really cool yeah and it's um you know and and you're seeing like just so many new progressive things out there that young people are thinking up and um you know making into realities uh it's amazing how much it's changed i'm 48 i don't know how old are you 33 33 so (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're we're a little apart, but you've you've probably definitely seen it and felt it uh, that um, really like it feels like we're on a cusp with technology yeah. and uh, kind of a new kind of thing going on that's way different and uh, 
very exciting too yeah 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 no it, it really is and it's it's been fun to see and and just the amazing different paths that you get to cross and people you get to meet in in the midst of all of this too is pretty mm. pretty awesome but uh yeah, yeah. and it's it's got to be very challenging for a lot of young people getting out there is like you know there's mm. not a ton of jobs out there um it's very competitive um you know but um you know there's you know it, it too it's like i always tell people that are younger than i am like don't be afraid to sweep the floor at a place you know yeah. don't be afraid to you gotta start somewhere start somewhere yeah. i think you know a lot of people think like oh i gotta start with some high-powered job and mm -hmm. come out of the gate with all the ideas and be very entrepreneurial but you know it's like no you can go and learn something just yeah. it could be menial you know yeah. working with your hands or doing something you know temporarily because i promise you you're going to learn something from it so yeah 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 associating and being around those people that you're going to learn from and mm -hmm. and start you know building up to that next place where you want to be because yeah it's that was a saying that my dad always said you still gotta still gotta sweep the floors and clean the toilets and <laughs> yeah. and get yourself to you know where you want to be and be around the people that you want to be like so oh yeah i mean i always say too it's like it, learning what you don't want to do is almost more important than yeah. learning what you do want to do <laughs> yeah so yeah, you know exactly. yeah do some of that stuff and you know might teach you you know you might thought you know something was really important to you and they're like oh i realize i don't want to do that yeah you know now i know what i want to do right let me focus on that exactly yeah, yeah. no that's awesome well it's it's cool to see uh and and just hear from the the history of your background as well as your family and yeah you know, i appreciate you taking some time i know it's uh it's it's kind of against of being a whirlwind here when people are wrapping up and you know people oh, are yeah. getting success and moving on and yeah uh, <laughs> yeah well thanks uh you know you you know for wanting to chat with me and i've enjoyed getting to know you out here and uh good luck in your your podcast and your endeavors with all your businesses as well and um, you know, and, and, uh, hopefully sometime you could come and see us in Kentucky, you can get on my <laughs> yeah. podcast. No, so. absolutely. And yeah. where, where, so where can people kind of see some of this different things that you are doing and kind of developing sure. or, or, yeah. you know, it's called homegrown experience. Okay. Um, and, uh, a friend of mine that's a big duck hunter and goose, uh, hunter has his own call company in Kentucky lives okay. right next to our farm. Yeah, he was a host of Ducks Unlimited TV show. His name is Field Hutnell. Okay, and uh, he and I just kind of came up with this idea: Hey, let's start filming some of these hunts and let's do a podcast. And yeah, and it's really um, kind of all over the map. It's really mainly focused on people that are involved in the outdoors, primarily hunting and fishing. It could be yeah uh, cooks and and farmers or things like that or. Uh, other people out there that have an interesting story about being outdoors and we just want to get people's stories yeah. kind of like you're doing with kind of a focus on business yeah. ours is more more geared a little bit more towards the hunting and fishing <laughs> side of things yeah. um, we have a, a website uh, we're putting a lot of our content on on youtube uh, a lot of the different podcast outlets are out there you can find yeah. homegrown experience there and then mossy oak go uh, we're putting some of our hunts and some of our you know more buttoned up filming um content out there on mossy oak go okay and then facebook we're putting some of the like the things on how to how to cook uh different things or, or yeah. more technical like telling people how to do something preparing for sure the outdoors or enjoying you know the products of the outdoors so 
Yeah, nice. check it out. So, yeah. um, and what's the name of this thing? Uh, this uh, it's Silverline Behind the Frame. Silverline so. Behind the Frame. Yep. Okay. So, how many episodes have you put out? Uh, so this this will probably be about forty. Now. Oh wow! So well, you're way ahead um, of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we started last year, and and it's 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 kind of like we were saying it 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 was birthed out of the these types of trips and adventures that we go on, where we we get to meet different people. There's you know, different involvements because uh, we work in the hunting industry, but also in other industries too. So sure. it's how can we, you know, share insights and those that want to get into, oh, I'm interested in that kind of thing. Like how right. can I learn and you know, apply it to business or is that, yeah. yeah, it's all. So we've really been able to kind of get those, you know, stories and backgrounds and stuff from a lot of different people. And, and it's been really fun because it, it allows us to, you know, to get to know people and hear their story too right. and, and really share that, uh, you know, that common, um, you know, shared interests that we tend to have when we cross paths in different areas. So, Definitely. Yeah, well, good really luck cool. and enjoyed yeah. uh, being a part of this. And Yeah, thanks um, for being yeah, on. Yeah, let's get back and make another bourbon downstairs. And <laughs> Sounds good. Keep the conversation going. All right. All right, thanks. buddy. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you're able to glean some valuable insights from this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and let us know what you thought and your feedback. We would love to hear from you. If you want to find out more, visit silverlinefilm.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook under Silverline Films. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Silverline Behind the Frame.